so we are in a brand new series called Everyone In, sort of brand new, about four weeks in, uh, Everyone In, uh, and, and it's basically our umbrella over our mission. So umbrella, our umbrella is Everyone In, and our mission statement, if you'll just join me this morning and, and participate early, say it with me on the count of three, one, two, three, find home, encounter Jesus, pursue gospel change together. This week, two times unprompted, meaning I slipped nobody a sticky note, uh, I did not force anybody to, they just, it just came out of their mouth in regular conversation. This entire mission statement just came out, which means, well, first of all, it means I'm excited. Like on the outside, I was like, oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. On the inside, I was happier than a hipster whose man bun just came in. Like I was excited uh, about the fact that our people are getting to know what's going on here. Uh, and, and we're getting to understand, like, we just want this city, we want you to find home physically and spiritually. We want you to be a part of a family. We want you to know it's home. We want you to know that God loves you, calls you son, calls you daughter. Uh, we want you to know that we are brothers, we are sisters, and we want immigrants to know and, and people that are from this, this transient city. We want them to know there is home for you no matter what corner of the earth you came from. That's why on Thursday nights and Saturday mornings, you can find us in these things called missional communities because we're busy finding home with each other and with God. And that's why on Thursday nights, if you haven't joined us yet, you can find us at Fun Club, which is uh, immigration services teaching English as a second language. There's something for everybody to do there. So please, if you want more information on Fun Club, sign up, serve on a Thursday night if you're not going to MC, and, and just make sure you join us. Right? That, that's where we're at because we want you to find home. We also have been discovering if we encounter Jesus, like the real Jesus, not the fake Jesus, not the counterfeit versions of Jesus, but the real Jesus who's sold out in love with you and wants to be in deep relationship with you, everything will change. If we'll treat this church as he is the pastor, everything is for him, in him, and by him, then everything will change. And last week, we opened the box of pursuing gospel change together. It's going to take some time. Because if we're going to pursue gospel size change, meaning Jesus size, Jesus power size change, gospel specific change, it's going to take a lot out of us. It's going to take everyone in. Now, before we go any further, I want to, I want to talk to you about everyone in. I want, I want to be clear, okay? Uh, and if you miss Obama, uh, let me be clear. It's pretty good. Monty liked it. Monty likes everything. So was that good by anybody else's terms? Okay. Um, let me be clear. Um, this is not about you being all in with the church. By God's design, this is about you being all in in a relationship with him. Okay? And then as a result of that, you want to find home. You want to be part of brothers and sisters who are taking a city and pursuing gospel change together. It's a subtle change, but sometimes a subtle change means catastrophic differences, right? Subtle change means a catastrophic difference. And this is one of those scenarios where you just make this little change to your theology, to your relationship with God, that you don't serve because of the fact that you want to impress church people. If that's, your, if that's the case, your, your flame will burn out quickly. You don't, you don't serve, you don't give, you don't get in because... Uh, man, man, you really want God to love you more. He can't love you anymore. He can't die for you again. And so if that's your, if that's your intention, then your flame is going to burn out really quickly. If it's because this church inspires you, I mean, that's good. But if that's your main motivation, your flame is going to burn out quickly. I'm going to let you down. The lead team's going to let you down. This church is going to let you down. People in this church are going to... If that's your flame, it's going to burn out really quickly. 
But if you're in because the God of the universe sent his only son to live and die for you and then not even be served, but to serve you uh, and walk up that hill to Calvary, which is where he died, and, and post himself on that cross, if you, if you give because he first gave, if you live because he first lived, if you serve because he first served, well, now we're talking in. And now your flame will go on and on and on, and it will not be dependent on how good our mission statement is or how inspirational we are or if church people love you or don't love you. It will be dependent on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the result of gospel. Next slide. It's called the result of gospel. Meaning, if you're ever wondering, how are my motivations? You just have to figure out, is it a result of the gospel? Is my action a result of the gospel? Or is it before the gospel? Meaning I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do something to earn something. I'm trying to do something to earn my, my friend's favor or my God's favor. Is it a result of or is it for? If you're living in the result of gospel, it's a result of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he calls me, who he says I am, then man, our inness, don't care if it's a word, our inness is going to be off the hook. And we're going to do things together. Okay? Everyone in. Now, here's where I want to go today. Um, because on the topic of everyone in, um, I think we would be foolish if we felt like we could be all in in a relationship with God and not be in with our money. Let's squirm for 30 minutes together, okay? We'll squirm. We'd be foolish if we thought we could be all in in a relationship with God, surrendered, wholly his, if we didn't think money was a part of that. If we didn't think money was a big part of our lives. Even if you're that guy, like, I know Pedro's that guy. He's like, whatever, money, whatever. It's still a major part of your life. Even if it's not a huge idol where you just want things, it's still a major part of your life that's super vulnerable to, to your heartstrings, to the things that tug on your heart. We would be foolish if we think that, that we can be all in a relationship with God and we don't talk about money. We'd also be foolish if we felt like we can pursue gospel change together without money. It's not going to happen. Okay, so uh, this, this sermon is called Four Bold Statements, because you guessed it, I'm going to make four bold statements about money, and, and these statements are ingrained in scripture. Okay, four bold statements about money this morning. Uh, the first one is up on the screen already for you. We're, 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 we're getting ahead of the game for you. Uh, we do not love money, or we do, we do not love you if we don't talk about money. We do love money. <laughs> uh, we do not love you uh, if we don't talk about money. I don't love you as a pastor. If I don't talk about money. There's this ethos that surrounds the church. It says, if I love you, I won't talk about money. Because if I do talk about money, I don't love you. It means I'm money hungry as, as a church, as a pastor. It means I just want your money. That, that's, that's what the ethos is surrounding the church. And I get it. Maybe you went to that church and they're trying to build some big thing, right? They got, they got some big building plan and they want golden toilets and they want uh, Starbucks in the lobby, which actually sounds kind of amazing, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> But I get it, if you've been a part of a church, that, 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 that's all they chase after, and they're not loving the poor, and they're not loving their city, and, and you're worried about their motivations, but it's created that, and other factors, have created this ethos surrounding the church that you love me if you don't talk about money, and you don't love me if you do talk about money. That means you just want me for my money, and, and it could not be a bigger lie. Okay, here's some stats, because I'm a Bible nerd. Some great stats. Uh, 16 of 38 parables that Jesus taught were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. He's not playing games. In the gospel, in the gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. 
If that one didn't get you, here's this one. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer. Less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Huh. And, and we want to walk into this relationship with God and talk. Money has nothing to do with it. It's like it's a, a separate part of it. It's like a severed portion of our body. It doesn't even have to do with my relationship with God. It's, just, it's, it's a separate entity. It's a side dish. No, no, no. To, to God, it's, it's a dish, and it's the biggest dish, right? Because he knows, this is, this is God's motivation, he knows he wants your heart. That's what the Father wants. That's all he wants. That's why he talks about money so much. He just wants your heart. As a father, I could care less what my kid does on the outside. No, I care. But, but if, if my kid jumps off uh, the roof, I don't care about, you know, why. He, I, I just want to know, what, what's your heart, buddy? How come you got to this place where you wanted to just jump off a roof, okay? What's your heart? Why, why did you spread that, uh, that chicken, that chicken uh, taco sauce on the wall? I, I don't care about the wall. I care about your heart. Why did you do that? Right? This, this is what God cares about. He cares about the, motiva- the motivations and the meditations of your heart, and this is why he talks about this so much. How much more the Father in heaven, right? Here's, here's something for you. This is Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus loves you deeply. He wants your heart. And he's going to talk about the things that are connected to your heart. It's that simple. He talks about sexuality. He knows that sexuality could run your life. Talks about idolatry. A lot. He knows that idolatry, meaning worshiping something other than him, could run your life. You know what he talks about near the most? Money. Because money can run your life. It could be your master. That's why he talks about, you can't have two masters. Jesus and money. You, you can only have one. So, so God loves you, and therefore he talks about your heart strings, and, and your heart strings are deeply connected to money. And so he talks about money quite a bit. If I love you, I'll do the same. And I won't just talk about money, but I'll teach you consistently what it means to have a faithful, loving, giving life from the mouth of Jesus. If I love you, if I care. If I don't love you, I'll cower back because I know that you'll be like, oh, he's talking about money, I'm going to disconnect. And so I'll just, I'll just avoid the topic altogether. If I do love you, I'm going to bring it up. And I'm going to teach well on it, right? So that, that's number one. If I love you, I, I, I will talk about money. Uh, or the vice, vice versa. Uh, number two, we want your money. <laughs> Maybe that's not funny to you. <laughs> it was funny to me when I wrote it. I'm like, that's pretty good. Uh, we want your money. Another ethos that surrounds the church. The church just wants my money. No, we don't just want your money. But we want your money. Because right? you always have that friend that comes in. No, the church doesn't want your money. The church doesn't even need your money. God has your money. And I always want to step in and go, no, we do want your money. And yeah, God has the money, but he gave it to you to give to the church, right? This was kind of a relationship thing. So yes, we do want your money. I'm going to tell you stuff that pastors won't tell you this morning, okay? I'm just going to be super honest. Like, we want your money. Because, A, we don't want the bride of Christ, the church, to live in a van down by the river. Like, is that fair? We don't want the bride of Christ to live in a van or his body, he calls the church his body, we don't want him to live in a van down by the river. So we need money. We want money. Um, all this costs money. 
Y'all want a bagel on Sunday morning, right? I don't even know if we can do church without a bagel. Let's be honest. Someone mentioned that once. I'm like, shush, shush. Watch your tone. And it was like, no, we need the bagel, okay? You want the bagel. I want the bagel. More importantly, we want to do what Jesus called us to do, pursue gospel change. We want to be generous with our city. We want to be generous with New City Kids and CWS. And we want to be generous with Welcome Home. We want, we want to let them know that we love them. And we don't just love them with part of us, with our servanthood. We want to let them know we love them with our generosity. And all of this costs money. So, yeah, we want your money because of that. We love this scripture in Acts 4. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Lord, the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. Man, do we love that, God? There wasn't one needy person. That's amazing. Put that thing on a mug, put it on the gram, put it on a t-shirt, make, make it a thing. But that's because of the next verse. Next verse. For as many as were owners of lands or, ho- lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any as he had need. That, this is that's how we got the money. Because people were not just giving 20 bucks every four months. They were selling their retirement properties, and they were bringing the proceeds to the local church and saying, you go, go ahead and do this, you know, help the poor, help the broken, help the orphan, help the widow. We do want your money, again, because all of this costs money. We don't want the church to live in a van down by the river. And also, this is deeply connected to your heart. And if you don't give, then your heart will suffer. Your heart will suffer greatly. Now, I get it, again. The church is a people. It's not a building. That's why we don't really have a goal. to build. It would make no sense for us to go, let's, let's do a building fund. Let's, let's gather Seven billion dollars to get a storefront here in Jersey City. Makes no sense for us, for the movement of God. So as I get it, the, the churches have done that. The church is not a building, it's a people. And if the people are generous, then the church is generous. I, again, sometimes the people are generous and the pastor gets a helicopter. I got it. The pastor gets a beamer. I got it. It's happened. But my car is almost 10 years old, like next month. So just, it's not going to happen here. Okay? Just because it happens in one place, just because there's a bad apple, some, doesn't mean the entire form of Christianity just stinks with their money and hates you. It's, that's not how it goes. You can't just attach one bad apple to everybody. right? So, so yes, we want your money for, for the reasons of faithfulness and mission. We want your money. Number three, Jesus is asking for a prayed-up, consistent portion of your finances. Jesus is asking for, this is a bold statement, number three. Jesus is asking for a prayed up, consistent portion of your finances. Uh, I want to go to the passage that we've taken out of, like this is the church's fault. We've taken this passage out of context for years. Um, we're going to go to where, the, the place where you're like, where do we get that whole 10% thing from? We're going to go there, all right? And we've taken this passage out of context for years. I, I want to put in context what's supposed to be there and what's not supposed to be there. I want to take out. But this is God boldly speaking to his people. The Jewish people in the Old Testament are not being faithful, as they're often not being faithful. Uh, and, and this is God talking to them very firmly. But you say, how have we robbed you? Let me go back up. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Will man rob God? Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. So, so how ridiculous is that man would rob God? Man gave, man got everything from God. So how ridiculous is it that, that man would take what's God's? That's like you stealing from your mama. My mom worked hard growing up. I mean, she was a nurse, and she would come home and make me food. 
by the time 5.30 hits. Immediately, her, her clothes are still on, and she's in there cooking up my food. Like, like, would you rob your mama? Your mama not only paid for that food, put the clothes on your back, she's making you food while you're paying Fortnite, and you're going to go into her purse and steal from your mama? God says, will you rob God? Are you for real? That's what he's saying. This is ridiculous. I'm the one who gave you life and breath and mission and purpose and legs and arms and talents and gifts. I made you good at being a farmer, and you would, get, you would take all that money for yourself, he says. God says, well, you rob God. And, and then he goes on to say, but you say, how have we robbed you? God's answering the question. He knows their heart. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. All right, so the word tithe is where we get 10th part. That's what it, what it comes from, 10%. And God is expecting his people to bring a 10th part of their first fruits. Now, if you don't know what first fruits are, uh, it's this concept in the Old Testament uh, where these people understood this fruit is not mine. Okay, this crop is not mine. It's God's. God gave it to me. He created the earth. He created me. He numbered the hairs on my head. He gave me my gifts. This fruit is not mine. And so I'm going to bring the first fruits, not the last fruits, not the stank fruit. You smelled the stank fruit before, right? I'm not going to bring that to God. God doesn't want no busted apple with a worm coming out. He doesn't want that. God doesn't want, if you're sacrificing an animal, which they did often in the Old Testament, he doesn't want the busted two-legged calf with the cross eyes that smells like cheese, right? Nobody wants to eat that calf. Uh, he don't smell right, so let's give him a God. God does not want that. Uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> shouldn't have done that. So God does not want, he wants the first fruits. What's the first fruits? And so they're missing the point. They're missing the point that, that God does not want what is last. And if they're giving the stank fruit, and something's wrong, right? Uh, in Michigan, where I pastored before, we were helping build a church in Thailand. Uh, and it was a really good cause. Like, this church in Thailand was the only gospel presence on a mountain. Uh, there was probably uh, 5,000 people in this village, uh, and 4,959 worshipped in this form of what's called animism. So they worshipped the animals and the, the sun and a tree, there was a tree in the middle of the village, and they would just go there, and just some really weird stuff. And so here this church is trying to save this neighborhood and bring Jesus to this neighborhood, right? And uh, we put their pastor through college. So I said, let's have a garage sale. This was a dumb idea. I did a lot of work for very little money. Let's have a garage sale, and let's bring our best stuff. We'll sell it, and we'll give all the money to this poor church in Thailand. I figured that's pretty good, Right? So I'm figuring people are going to bring some good stuff. I said, we'll, we'll come get it from you, okay? So we go to this house, the first house. It's like, I got a bag of clothes. I'm like, okay, hopefully they're good clothes, right? I open the bag, and I'm overcome. It smells so bad. I'm like, you, you couldn't even wash, first of all, you couldn't even wash this? You want me to sell these clothes? Well, yeah, I was going to take it to Salvation Army, but you, you said you'd pick it up, so save me a trip. I put on my pastor's face. Oh, thank you, thank you. Huh. I just like, wow, we're missing the point. Next house is like, I got a piece of furniture. You're going to love this piece of furniture. I get there. It's a, a table, a coffee table from the 90s with four Kool-Aid rings. Deeply ingrained, those Kool-Aid rings have been there for 45 years, right? And, and, and the dog has chewed off like half the one leg. And so it's, it's sitting like this. I'm like, you want me to sell this? 
I'm thinking to myself, we are missing the point. Miss the point. I get to one house, they're like, it's a gently used mattress. I'm like, no. Salvation Army won't even take your gently used mattress. And you're giving it to me to sell for the poor people in Thailand who live in basically cardboard boxes. This is what you're giving to me. We're missing the point. Here's a toaster. It's broken. But if you get the right piece and you get the right guy, you can fix it. We're missing the point. Somebody gave me six family reunion t-shirts. O'Shanahan, Fam Bam, 2001, hashtag whatever. Nobody's going to wear your t-shirts. We're missing the point, right? We're giving God the stank fruit. We're giving God the stank fruit. This isn't the first fruit. This isn't the best fruit. We're giving him the last fruit. And his people are in Malachi. They're missing the point. They're giving him the stank fruit. And, and, And it's because, look, the more you think you've earned something, the tighter you white-knuckle that something. Right? The more in your soul that you think, I've earned this, is the tighter you hold on to it. So they're missing it at the core. This is not yours. God gave this to you. You wouldn't even have breath. This is not yours. They're missing it at the core. I'm asking you, are you, are you missing it at the core? Do you think it's all yours? Man, I grind. I grind. That's what you say to yourself. I grind. It's, it's mine. So I'm sorry, God, but I, I don't have that to give to you. We're missing it at the core. Now, God, God is very firm with them. This is typically what we take out of context. Uh, but God is very firm with them. Let's bring that scripture up. You are cursed with a curse. Dang. <laughs> Straight to the point. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tide, the full 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, just test me. Test me. Watch me. God wants their heart. Now, for years, we've, we've taught this as a prescriptive text. You guys know the difference? I've talked about this difference before. Prescriptive means it's a prescription like, like a doctor gives you forever, meaning take two of these. You have to do this forever, right? Uh, description or descriptive text means I'm just describing a place in time in the Bible, uh, an interaction between God and man. This is a descriptive text, okay? This is not God saying, and, and the church needs to repent for this, for saying everybody needs to bring 10% to the church or else. There is not a church for 400 years. So let's slow down with that. There's, there's a temple later on, but it functions differently. That, that, that is not what God is saying here. So, so we can kind of back up and go, he's not saying you need to bring 10% to the local church for this many years. What hasn't changed about this scripture is God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God that says, if you love me, you'll give to me. If you believe that I gave you life and breath and mission and purpose and legs and arms, then you'll give to me and just watch me. If you'll trust me, I'll bust open the doors of heaven, I'll open the windows of heaven, and I'll pour out blessing upon you. That has not changed 
about God. God still expects you to give in a place where you trust his heart. And I can still, years, thousands of years, I promise, anybody that I roll up here on stage, anybody who's been giving purposely and portionally for their life, I can roll up here and I can say, give us a testimony. And every single testimony that they give would end with tears. They would end with tears because God will always faithfully provide. Always. The deepest and most vulnerable moments of my relationship with God often have to do with money. I've been giving for over 16 years. And, and the deepest, most vulnerable, most personal, relational moments we've got have to do with money. And, and God has not changed in that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's the same. If you, did, if you think this is all yours, if you don't think you should give God a consistent prayed through trustworthy portion of your money, it's the same. You have to think, am I robbing God? Where's my heart? Is that a bit strong? I think it's, I think it's faithful. I, 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 like I, sometimes I'm like, should I say that? But I, I think I should. I think you're in danger of, of robbing God. And, and at the same time, you're robbing yourself, right? You're robbing your own heart. We see in the New Testament, just in case we thought this was just kind of an Old Testament thing, we see in the New Testament in Acts 4, Romans 15, 1 Timothy 5, people are still bringing their tithes, their offerings, the, the, the money from their property to the local church. Because one, they knew we're not going to pursue gospel change without it. We, we, can't, we can't love who Jesus told us to love. We can't love the widows. We can't feed the poor. We can't feed the orphan without it. But n- number two, they're thinking, who am I? They just watched Jesus wander toward the cross. They watched God's offering. His offering was not a tenth part, a third part, a fifteenth part. God's offering was he watched his only son walk toward the cross. John 3.16, Tim Tebow didn't make it famous, famous God did. John 3.16, for God loved the world, he gave his only son. That was his offering. So they're thinking, who am I to keep all of this? Who am I? I give because God first gave to me. So I'm just wondering, is, is, it, is it you're giving your last three sips of beer to God? You know, you know them sips. All right, even if you're a Christian and I don't, I don't drink any beer, okay? I think God allows for a moderate drinking life. That's, uh, you know, that makes sure you drink not in the wrong places, but you have one or two. I think God allows for that. And you know if that's you, you got the last three sips of beer. It's offensive to go give that to somebody, right? The last three sips? We got bad names for it, right? Is that your giving life? Man, that beer was good. Um, I paid all the bills. Uh, I went to the movies twice. And I bought my boo a something or other. And I think I got about $15 left over. Here you go, God. Last three sips of beer. Some of us don't even have that. Some of us don't even have table scraps for God. And that would, that's, that's why I used to give to the dog. It was probably wrong, but I, I'd, I'd eat the best parts of the meat, and then I'd go, boop, there you go, take that. And some of us, just, just to be honest, I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody, but some of us, that's our giving life. I'm just trying to make this a reality. We give God the table scraps, or not even the table scraps. I'm just wondering where your heart is at this morning, um, because that, that leads us to number four, Actually, let, 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 me go, let me go back and be honest with you, okay? Because um, some of you, I, I, and, and can you put that, there you go. Some of you just don't know how to give. This is not your fault. You don't know what God expects. 
You didn't know that God even wanted money from you. You felt like the, the church just got money from a denomination somewhere, and so you just kind of, you just come to church. You didn't know that this was part of your heart. So it's not you. It's because we haven't taught it. So I'm, I'm going to teach it uh, both practical and from the heart. So practically, I want to teach you how to give. Practically, I'll teach you how the, the lead team here gives. Okay? I'm talking about the staff and lead team. It's six people. Okay, they have, some of them have spouses, some of them don't. Six people. Six people here give a regular, consistent, prayed-up portion, and it's one-third of our budget. Just let that sink in. Six people. Now, I say that not to brag. I say that not to say, or, or, or I say that not to make you feel guilty either. I say that to say, look, we're not asking you to do something that we're not in on. We're, we're not at, we're not asking you to jump into battle. Remember, there's a battle for your heart here. We're not asking you to jump into battle that we haven't already, we're, we're 50 feet in the battle. We're already shooting people up over in the, in the battle, right? And then we're asking, come on, join us. We're already here. We've been here. Six people. It's nuts. So we can take it as a negative, like, oh, shoot. <laughs> or we can take it as, man, our, our lead team loves the mission here. They're all in, and they're not asking us to do anything that they won't do. So practically, that's how the lead team gives here. Practically, how I give, and I've been giving, again, since I've, I've been 19, and, and my wife and I have been giving uh, ever since we got married. Um, practically, how I give is I bring, uh, I don't even see the 10%. That thing comes right out. I do that automated giving life. <laughs> we got it on the text. Text that, bang. Um, that's, that's how we give first. Our first 10% goes to the church. And the reason that we do that, uh, because... We believe that the church is God's bride, it's his body, and, and it's the mission that God gave. Like, God chose the church to be the mission of the world. <laughs> so we give to the local church first, and, and maybe you're thinking, well, that's, that's, like, that's selfish because you work for the church. But, but think about this. I, I get paid by the church, uh, and my family personally gave one-tenth of the tithe last, last month. So my, my heart is not about getting money. My heart is here because I've watched Jesus miraculously provide for me when I made $24,000 and when I made ninety. That's why I give. I give because I want to be faithful to Jesus because my level of faithfulness could never reach his. Not even close. And I don't stop at 10%. I'm not going to tell you what percentage we're at now, but I don't stop at 10%. Because 10% doesn't challenge my heart anymore. The 10% that I don't even see, it does not challenge me anymore. It does not challenge my faith. I don't need to pray through it. It does not get to the point where am I giving enough or not. I don't even have that conversation anymore with God. So I need to give to a place where I need to trust God. So we, we try to elevate our giving every single year. How cool would it be if we're 65 and we're giving 50% of what we get? How cool? I can't take that stuff with me. So what am I keeping it for? It's not mine. What am I keeping it for? So practically, for you, if, if just start with a prayed-up percentage. It doesn't got to be 10. It could be 3. It could be 30. What's going to challenge your heart? It's not about math. That's number four. Number four. It's 100% about your heart and your faith, and it's 0% about math. 0% <laughs> about math. This, this is my favorite story in all the Bible when it comes to giving. Um, and, and some of you have 
a widow's mite. I think hopefully everybody got a little widow's mite. This is about, this is, the story's called the widow's mite. You have this in your pocket if you want to pull it out now. You can hold on to it during this story. Um, Tony, would you go to the next scripture? Uh, I want to show you a story. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now, the treasury did not look, like we had a little box over there. The treasury did not look like this. There was a separate room, but it was viewed by, everybody could see it. And there was three different boxes uh, in the treasury. And one box was just for small coins. It was for, like, the dove offering. And then there was the big box with, like, the big money. All right, so, so Jesus is sitting down. Many rich people put in large sums. They walked over to the big box, and you know they're wearing them nice clothes. Right, they, they, don't got, they don't got, you know, I don't know what's nice clothes now. They don't got a Prada. Okay, but whatever the equivalent of Prada is, they got it. And they walk over to the big box, and they put in their, their crisp hundo. They don't have 100 either, but they put in their crisp hundo just for, just for pictures. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. Two of these makes a penny. Now, the poor widow, it makes sense because back in the day, women didn't get jobs. They weren't empowered to get jobs. They weren't allowed to get jobs. And some of them had jobs. Some of them had trade. But if, if you're a widow, that, mean you're, that means your, your husband died and so did the money. And so she's very poor. And the equivalent that she puts in is 164th of a day laborer's wage. 164th. Jesus is going to say that's all she had. Jesus knows, just like, he had, just like he knew this woman at the well had five husbands. He knew exactly how much that woman had in her bank account. She puts in 164th of a day laborer's wage. That's what you got in your hand, a little replica, okay? Now, let me tell you about these two people's heart. Let, let's just pick a rich guy. Could be a rich woman, too. But let's, let's pitch, pick a rich guy as he walks over to the box. What is going on in his heart and mind? We all have a conversation when we walk over to the giving box, don't we? <laughs> Some of us are like, oh, dang. I'm not sure. That's okay. But some, some of us kind of dance over the box. We're like, let me see if the pastor's looking. Oh, hey, pastor. Pink, pink. <laughs> we, we all have a conversation as we walk over to the box. So, so this man has, this rich man has a conversation in his head. We can kind of assume how it goes, right? We can kind of assume that he's like, you know what? Uh, not only do I have this money, but it's not going to make a big dent in my budget, and I'm going to look good for the church folk. And this Jesus guy is here. He's kind of famous all around the world right now. So, bing, bing, pops it in. That's the conversation. It's not a long, heart conversation. Then comes this poor widow. You can assume this conversation in her heart and mind is long. Now, some of you guys are like, no, God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, he loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't mean we're cheerful all the time. This woman, this is all she has. And this is her heart conversation as she walks over to the box this is all I got. This is my bread. So Jesus, I trust you. God, I trust you. You can have this money. I don't know how I'm going to live tomorrow. I don't know how the heat's going to come on. I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to eat. I don't know how I'm going to drink. But I'm going to drop this in the box. You can have this. I trust you. Now Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. Next, next verse. Truly I say to you, he pulls his disciples around. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now, either Jesus is horrible at math, or it's 0% about your math and 100% about your heart. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Hmm. 
I remember uh, one year, again, we're, we're, we're making actually, I think it was $23,000, and we were in a poverty class, and we're sitting in a poverty class, really because we're, we're trying to learn how to love impoverished people, and they put up the number of you're in poverty, if. And the number was 27,000. And my wife and I were like, we're sitting in the wrong seats. <laughs> but do you think we were hungry? We weren't hungry. You think we had a, a roof over our head? Of course we had a roof over our head. You think we were giving? Of course we were giving. Doesn't matter. It's about your heart. God will always take care of you. This has nothing to do, I don't, I don't know how much y'all give. The only reason I knew, how, and I don't only know how much the leadership is giving as a whole. I don't even know how much each leadership person is giving. I don't, I don't want to attach a number to you. I don't want to see you coming in like, oh, $7,000 a year. I don't want to do that, right? So I don't know how much you give. Some pastors do. I don't judge them for that. But I don't, for me, it's not about our budget. It's about your heart. It's about you having a deep relationship with God. And so everybody pull this out. Could you just hold this up so I know you got it? Hold this up so I know you got it. You can put it back down. You can put it back down. I want you to keep this. Can you all keep this for me? Slide it into your Bible. Slide it into your purse. Slide it into your wallet. It'll fit in your wallet. Man, I don't want to hear it. I just got a wallet. It'll fit. I want it to remind you. Maybe put it on a chain or something. I want, I want, I want it to remind you that you have to think about this. And you have to think, what is my might? What is my widow's might? What does my giving life look like? If you don't, if you never address the topic, you will not open the, the doors of faith in your heart. You'll never open them up. They'll just stay closed. You won't even know you have them. But if you look at this and you think, what, what is my might? I promise God will unlock new doors. Just try it. Just try it for, for, for six months. If you come back to me in six months and you're like, God did not provide, I'll give you money out of my own pocket. Maybe that's not true. I shouldn't make that promise. <laughs> my wife would be like, what did you say? <laughs> we don't got that. Uh, let's pray. As we pray, worship team, come up here. As we pray, I want you to think about what your might is. I want you to think about what your might is. And more or less, I want you to think about where your heart is at. Hmm. God, thank you for being faithful. God, you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. You have always taken care of me and my family, and that's the reason I give, because it's not out of my own strength, it's not out of my own ability, it's not because I'm generous, it's because you gave your only son, and you gave me everything that I have, and whenever I've trusted you with your money, you've been, you've been worth your salt. I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here, that they would have a deeper relationship with you because they learn what their, what their giving life should look like. We trust you, God. We trust you with this church. We trust you with our finances because we don't want to withhold a portion of our soul from you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.